You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. After weeks and weeks of headlines about the sudden end of the Beijing central government's policies for zero COVID, one announcement this week has dominated the global conversation about China. It started with a press conference talking about China's population. This is the voice of Kang Yi, the head of China's National Bureau of Statistics, announcing that the population in China has fallen for the first time in 60 years. Let me tell you what he's saying. China's population declined by roughly 850,000 to nearly 1.4 billion at the end of last year. 9.6 million people were born, but 10.4 million people died. China's birth rate last year was just 6.8 births for 1,000 people, down from a rate of 7.5 births in 2021. Now, that means a couple of things. Firstly, it means India is now the country with the largest population in the world. It also means in just seven years, one quarter of the entire population of mainland China will be over the age of 60. And 60 years old is the official retirement age in mainland China, meaning 350 million people will no longer be working. Here's an idea of how that news was received around the world. The world's most populous country has hit an historic turning point. China's population has declined for the first time in more than 60 years. Newly released government data shows the birth rate at a record low. But even more significantly, the amount of deaths in the country outweighed the births. The first such occurrence since 1961. Not since the early 1960s, during Mao Zedong's infamous Great Leap Forward, had China seen a population decline. Economists warn the low birth rate and rapidly aging population will have far-reaching effects, and not just locally, but on the global economy. An aging population, the one-child policy, a shrinking population, a crisis. There were a lot of declarations but not many questions being asked. What do the women in China think about this? And as we end this year of the tiger and move into the year of the rabbit, what happens next? Welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick, science reporter here at the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And having heard from some of the world's media about China's population figures, here's a taste of how China's social media responded to the news. First, you need to solve the three big mountains of education, healthcare, and housing. Then the birth rate will naturally go up. It's not just about money. There should be training for the man who's going to be a father in advance about how to take care of children. When you are 35, you want a job, they think you are too old. When you are 60, you retire. They think you are too young. 10 million graduates are too many, and 9 million newborns are too few. Make sure the middle-aged are not unemployed. Then they can take care of the children. So let me get straight to the point with those headlines. Tuesday's announcement about population made big news around the world. But for those who report on China, it's actually not really new information. 
And for those of us familiar with the data on fertility rates around the world, guess what? Birth rates around the world have been falling since 1950. But it's China that has the reputation for the world's largest population. And it's China that invented the infamous one-child policy back in 1980, which lasted for over 35 years until 2016. Now, you've probably heard about the one-child policy, but do you know what really happened? Families would go to great lengths to make sure that their one child was a boy, from abandoning girls, to having sex-selective abortions, to cases of female infanticide. And in some areas, the government's methods of preventing more births, regardless of gender, were absolutely brutal. Children could be taken and sold to orphanages, and there were millions of forced sterilizations and forced abortions. It meant two and a half decades of forced abortions for women who got pregnant again after their first baby, or massive fines if they chose to have that second baby. It created a massive imbalance between men and women, which means right now there are 34 million more men than women in China. Imagine you're the only woman in Canada and the entire country is just men. That's an image of what 34 million more men than women looks like. And what about those women born during the one-child policy years? For those girls born between 1980 and 2016, it meant they became the entire focus of their families. And those women are now the most educated generation of women in China's history, while enjoying the most economic power and prosperity in China's history as well. In this decade, the millennials are turning 40, and the next cohort are known as Generation Z. Maybe you can guess what many of these women think of the idea of giving up their careers, their international plans, and their independence to have children and stay home to care for them. This is what that sounds like in Beijing. As a person born in the 80s, I don't really want to think much about having children. If I can be self-sufficient, maybe I wouldn't even want to look for a partner. It is a personal choice. It doesn't mean that I would choose to have more kids if the government gives me more money or offers a better environment for children. Once you have a strong individual consciousness or you have more life choices, you may not choose to have children. And that has implications not just for China's national birth rates, but for how a central government in which women made up 8% of the central committee changes its policy to convince women that having children is a good idea. China's population actually began to shrink in 1991, but the alarm bells really started ringing for authorities back in 2016. And we've been covering the warnings, the policy suggestions, and the forecasts from experts, analysts, and opinion leaders every step of the way on scmp.com. One of the reporters following the story is someone you're likely very familiar with if you have heard our previous pandemic episodes. Luna Sen is based in Beijing, and back in March last year, she reported on some of the things discouraging young women 
from choosing to have children and what the government needed to consider during the peak government policy and political meeting known as the two sessions. Luna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be back. So let me start with a quote that you included in one of your latest stories on this topic. It's from an expert in demographics in China, and he said, Undoubtedly, after a negative growth in population in 2022, it is impossible that China will have a positive growth in the future. The current situation is different from 1960 and 1961, when China had a negative growth. It was the three years of Great Famine. In the 60 years from 1962 to 2021, China's population has been growing. A lengthy decline period started in 2022, which will last at least until the end of this century, let alone turning the tables. Well, I can't imagine the Beijing government is just going to give up on this. But, you know, take us back to your story in March last year, warning about this moment. What are some of the issues deterring women from choosing to become mothers? There are a mixed bag of reasons that impact people's willingness to have babies. The high cost of child rearing being one of the most important ones. Raising a child is extremely expensive in China, including childcare, going to the nurseries and the education cost, especially with the economy slowing. People are worried about their income. So the cost of raising babies are definitely one of the most contributing factors that deter people's willingness to have babies. So what have the authorities done in the lead up to this moment? Provincial and local authorities have rolled out a lot of initiatives to encourage people to have more children. That include offering parents more days off, housing benefits, and other financial support. In November, a county in Shanxi has actually become the first to offer cash awards to old couples. And those with three children could have a one-time subsidy of 5,000 yuan. Jiangsu also uh, subsidized companies for paying insurance to female employees during their second or third period of maternity leave. Despite the cash awards rolled out by local authorities, that amount of money is far from enough for couples to raise a child till he's an adult. So that has largely failed to boost people's willingness to have babies. Luna, just to recap for our listeners who are listening in from the States, Australia, or Europe, how many days of maternity leaves do people get in China? It's interesting. I just had dinner with a friend who was recently pregnant, and she said she will get 158 days of maternity leave. But that's the situation of her company. It really varies from company to company. I think the legally required maternity leave in China is 98 days, which is a little bit over three months. But during the two sessions uh, last year, some of the representatives have suggested that the country should extend maternity leave. And the cost of the extended maternity leave should be paid by the country rather than the companies. And that would largely reduce gender discrimination in the job market against working moms. Also, some of the representatives have also called on uh, subsidies to parents, cheaper daycare and medical expenses, the promotion of unmarried women's rights when it comes to having and raising children. Well, Luna, here's a fundamental question, and it's not just a you know, an issue facing China. In many cultures, women are still the main person who's taking care of children. 
Who have you been talking to about this in China? It's true that married women in China with children are more vulnerable to discrimination in the job market, and many women are forced to choose to have fewer or no children in order to achieve career advancement. And this is not just a problem facing women in China. In East Asia, there's this tradition of women taking the role of the main carer of babies, while men are less involved in childcare. And this is another reason that deters women from having more babies or no baby at all. In fact, I talked to a demographer recently. He said that China should offer more affordable daycare services for children and offer large cash handouts to new parents. Here's what he has to say. A major obstacle of giving birth is after the child is born, who will take care of the baby? Maternity leave is just a few months. The child can only go to kindergarten after turning three. There's a big gap when the child is aged between six months and three. It's impossible for the mother to take three years off work to take care of the child. In France and Sweden, where the birth rate is higher, an important policy is that six-month-old children can go to nursery at affordable prices. This is independent demographer Hui Yafu. Saluna, what about the bigger issue here about women who grew up during the one-child policy and now being asked to have a second or third child? That's actually one of the bigger issues that few people are talking about. Is that people in their 40s and 30s grew up. With the one-child policy and having one kid was the norm, and now China needs to change the norm. Now the government has encouraged couples to have three children, but when you walk on the street and see couples with three children, that's still quite unusual. That's exactly what he referred to the other day when I talked to him. This is what he has to say. The most important point for the whole society to form a culture to encourage giving birth. China has had the culture of fewer children, the better for a few decades, during which family planning was widely promoted. For many people, when they see a family of three children, they find it very unusual and rare. So we've been talking about the pressure facing people in their thirties and forties having to take care of their children, but actually at the same time they have aging parents to take care of as well. In the U.S. and Australia, they're called the sandwich generation, and this is what the experience sounds like from a mother in Beijing. We were both born in the 1980s and belong to the one-child generation. We have four parents combined between us. We also have grandparents. We need to take care of at least four elderly people. Now the government is encouraging us to have three children. We simply can't afford it. If we have a third child, who would take care of the baby? To have three children means we would need to buy three houses for them. We would need to find jobs for all three of them. And if all three of them have three children each, we wouldn't be able to handle all of that. Well, Luna, this pressure of taking care of aging parents while taking care of children—does that sound familiar to you? That's definitely one of the major struggles faced by middle-aged people. I can only imagine that for the one-child generation, the burden is going to be more significant and harder to bear. For example, in China, people don't just send their aging parents to old people homes; they have to take care of their parents. And my parents' generations, they have siblings who can share the burden with them. They can take shifts. To stay with the parents, but for my generation, it's going to be one person who has to do all that job. That's now shared by the siblings. I can't imagine how 
the one child generation will have to face the struggle when their parents are aging and couldn't take care of themselves. Saluna, what can we expect to happen next? Has Beijing made any formal reaction following the Tuesday announcement? It's only been two days. There haven't been any uh, concrete measures announced by the officials. But I talked to an expert the other day, and he said one of the key things we should do next is to understand what are the problems faced by young people. What have stopped them from having babies? Is it because of the high price? Is it because of the competitive education? Is it because of the high housing price? We should place in more effort to understand what are their problems and what are the issues that need to be solved. It's going to be an interesting time to see how men in their sixties make policy for women in their twenties. Luna, you've been doing a lot of reporting on this issue so far, and there's a lot more to come. We look forward to reading your stories on scmp.com. Thank you, Holly. There's so much more to talk about on this subject. It's more than just demographics. It's about a generational change in China. It's about how China experienced this pandemic very differently to how you did wherever you are in the world right now. It's about how China will adapt and plan for its future, and we're going to be here to report that future as it happens. Find us at scmp.com. Follow us on Twitter at SCMP News, and a special thanks to our friends from the SCMP Video and Digital Team for helping us out on the mic. Gong Hei Fa Choi from Hong Kong. My name is Holly Chick. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.